prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. You know, whenever I see my mug, I start smiling instinctively. And then I realize, oh my God, I'm a chimpanzee. Because that's what they do when they see their images in mirrors. Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. Today is February 19th, 2020. For those of you listening to this show 100 years from now and realizing we were way ahead of everybody else. And uh, we have to thank our title sponsor, Legendary Foods, uh, for being such a generous uh, uh, support to the show. And uh, right now they have an amazing new uh, snack food called the Tasty Pastry. It's, it's, it looks like a Pop-Tart, tastes better than a Pop-Tart, uh, but it's only got four grams to three grams of impact carbs, less than one gram of sugar, nine grams of high leucine, high quality protein. So you think you're cheating, but you're not. Go to eatlegendary.com to learn more and let them know. Uh, that I sent you. Now, my guest today has been on the show before, and this is uh, Jackie Wolf. How are you, Jackie? I'm fine. I'm very happy to be here. Yes. Yeah, so we talked about breastfeeding last time. Uh, we did. And, and <clears throat> misunderstandings, misconceptions, but the importance of, uh, of, of women continuing to breastfeed. And in that show, you said, I mentioned that I was a C-section baby. My mother smoked and took Valium when she was pregnant with me. And so, and you said, oh, cesarean section. We jumped on that. And then I found out you have authored a book called Cesarean Section, an American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequence. And everyone who saw this show go up said, oh, immune system, microbiome, you know, and, and that's really a buzz now. Everybody gets that. But there's a lot more, too. Uh, what happens to both the mother and the child uh, when a cesarean section is, is performed. First of all, dispel a myth. Is it really named after one of the Caesars? It is not. And thank you for asking that. Um, because that, that absolutely is the assumption. Um, and that's the legend that it was named after Julius Caesar, who, who uh, supposedly was born by cesarean section. But that was an era when women didn't survive cesarean section. And Julius Caesar's, Caesar's mother lived to, be, lived to a ripe old age. The word actually comes from the Latin meaning to cut. That's where the term comes from. Like incision, cesarean. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, isn't that funny? That's just like German chocolate cake is named after a guy whose last name was German. It has nothing to do with Germany. I, you know, it's just funny. We just make assumptions and we run with it, you know? So, so when was the Syrian session for, uh, section first introduced uh, as a means of delivering babies? I have to believe this was always... Uh-oh. There you I'm are. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I, I'm in an office that if you don't move around, the lights go out. So oh, one of those uh, electrical saving. Well, feel free to roam if you want during the interview. You can be mobile. I'm waving my hand. Yeah, there you go. So so yeah. when did we see our first C-section? Well, you know, I, I, I'd like to talk more about the first C-section in the U.S. I can tell you Yeah, okay. Okay. There's even reference, I mean, there's biblical references to cesarean section. Right. But they were for very different reasons. Um, thousands of years ago, they were done mainly to assure inheritance lines, that if a woman died in, in childbirth, you could quickly uh, uh, remove her baby and an inheritance line would be assured. They were done for very mercenary reasons, not for medical. Oh, wow. Ancient history. Um and it's not really until the modern era that we see that we see it used as a last resort to save a woman. So it was done for for very different social reasons in the era that you were asking about. Okay, so but at some point in time, uh, I think you even opened the book with a, a story about uh, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy, you know, uh, uh, getting a C-section to deliver her first child. But like today, it was a planned C-section. They used to be emergency C-sections. When when did it? When did people go? Let's not even try delivering vaginally. 
Well, that is very recent. That's more like we're talking about the the late 1980s, uh, early 1990s, that suddenly cesarean section became normalized. In fact, it's interesting that you mentioned Jackie Kennedy because when she had her babies, and people should know, Jackie Kennedy only only had two living children, but she had five full-term pregnancies. People don't know. Near term, I shouldn't say full term. Her babies were born very, very premature. Right. And she had problems with the placenta separating and bleeding. Um, and when she had her, and all of them were born by cesarean section, and only two lived. And when she had her babies, cesarean sections were so rare that because she was famous and, and her births were written up because he had um, John Jr. when Kennedy was running for president. Right. So it was news that he was born and that she had a cesarean, every newspaper had to define what a cesarean was. <laughs> Women didn't even know. Yeah, that's hilarious. So she actually, even though that was in the early 1960s and still cesareans were very rare, about 4% of births. Now they're almost 33% of births. But they're only about 4% of births. So few women had had them that um, it, it didn't become national news until Jackie Kennedy. I think you're actually holding your thumb over your microphone because you, oh, oh yeah you got really loud now okay great so oh, sorry. no no so so um, to, today cesarean section is a, a, a sometimes a chosen method no one even wants to deliver vaginally or go through the trouble of it they just want to be in and out and literally my third child because my ex-wife had been a c-section the first time it was just assumed that she was a C-section every time, which I want to talk about that phenomenon in a second. But with that being said, uh, we did that. That's how we went in. We picked my daughter's name, and it was like going in for day surgery. That's what it was. You know, it's interesting that you even bring that up because I part of my research was to interview many, many dozens of obstetricians who were trained in all different eras. So retired obstetricians, uh, obstetricians trained in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, current residents, and Many obstetricians will say to you they will not even consider what's called an elective cesarean section. They'll say there has to be a medical reason for it. But then the younger the obstetricians get, the more accustomed they are, the more normalized cesareans have been since their training and, and in the course of their training. And they're very comfortable with performing cesarean if that's what a woman wants to do. But... Um, one of the problems with the normalization of cesarean, and you alluded to this at the very start of the show, that we think of cesareans as being controlled and safe. The truth is, unless they're medically necessary, they're quite dangerous. They're much more risky than, than uh, a low-risk vaginal birth. Um, or uh, Women die at much higher rates with a cesarean section, even controlling for the medical reasons why they might, might have had a cesarean. It's surgery. It's, I mean, it's not the surgery, it's major surgery, major abdominal surgery, which of course you would never want to have unless you there's a sound medical reason for it. You're cutting through muscle, you're cutting through layers of skin, you're cutting through the, 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 um, the uterus. And the uterine scar in subsequent births can create all kinds of problems in subsequent pregnancies. So, yes, if they're medically necessary, cesareans can be life-saving. And I want to emphasize that. Thank goodness we have them. Thank goodness cesareans are relatively safe today. But if you don't need them, the risks of surgery far outweigh the benefits. And not only that, it's terrible for babies. Yeah, um, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into that. Hold on. I want to ask you one last question okay. while, on, on this particular topic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this idea that once a cesarean, always a cesarean. Is that because doctors just assume you've had one, so we're not even going to... Why, 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 maybe one child was breech, so they went in C-section, right, to save the child. But the other children aren't. Why do they go right to C-section? Why don't they try delivering vaginally? There's a historical reason for that, and, and the truth is the reason is known, is not valid anymore. The historical reason is that the cesarean sections in the U.S. used to be performed with what was called the, a high vertical cut. It began at the belly button, and it went all the way down to the pubis. So it was very long, and it was vertical. Um, in Europe, um, in the early 20th century, so for over a century now, they've been doing a low horizontal cut, which is much safer, much less blood loss, plus it leaves a much stronger scar. That high vertical scar, that long vertical scar, 
would be very weak. So yeah. in, subsequent, in subsequent labors, the uterus could rupture. Right. So you, did, you didn't want a woman to go into labor, and you said, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. That is no longer medically the case. Um, so vaginal births after cesarean are very common in Europe. Um, we get nervous in the U.S. because there was one study uh, uh, a little over 10 years ago that showed that if labor was induced, um, there was a much greater chance of rupture if you had a surgical, not a much greater chance, about rather than something like, it was actually very slight, something like 1.9% um, versus 1.5%. Um, so it was a very slight increase in, in, in rupture. Um, as opposed to going into labor or doing another cesarean section. But, um, and that's why American doctors have kind of backed away from it. But there really is very flimsy medical reason for doing that. There's no reason why a woman couldn't give birth vaginally um, in the absence of medical indications after one cesarean. So uh, now let's move on to the other topic, which is most important to parents, would-be parents, and is is there something unique uh, or is there something endowed into the infant as it is delivered vaginally that ends up becoming critical uh, for the health of that baby? There are a couple of things that we're learning about. Um, one is that vaginal birth is really good for the pulmonary bed. That is, babies have been breathing in amniotic fluid for nine months. And in going through the birth canal, all the fluid is squeezed out of the lungs. Mm. When a baby is lifted out of the uterus through a surgical cut, um, 100% of those babies are born with wet lung. Many of them end up in the neonatal intensive, intensive care unit. And one of the reasons we're seeing an asthma epidemic and an allergy ep epidemic among children is because babies born by C-section have a much greater ten tendency to, um, to asthma because of their history of being born with wet lungs. So that's the linkage. So everybody knows that Syrian babies tend to have a higher rate of asthma. There was a, a book written, I, I interviewed... Uh, the, the scientist, uh, Missing Microbes, I can't think of the, the scientist's name. We talked about the linkage between um, one of the um, H. pylori. So H. pylori is one of those bell curve things. If a child has no H. pylori, they tend to develop asthma. If they have too much, they t tend to have other issues. So we, I assume that the, the whole mother's... Um, uh, uh, microbiome. microbiome being transferred at birth was that, but what you're saying, it's actually because of the wet lung. It's it's because of both those things. I was about to talk about the micro microbiome, but we really the microbiome is more associated with severe allergies, and I'll explain why in a minute. But the um, the wet lung is is has been tied to very high rates of asthma, which is why you see uh, higher rates of asthma among C-section children for sure. Um, we're beginning to learn so much about the human microbiome. Um, we carry on us and inside of us as adults about three pounds of, um, of uh, bacteria, uh, good bacteria that are essential to our health. Right. Babies are first um, introduced to that as they go through the birth canal, as they are bathed in their mother's vaginal microbiome. Babies lifted out of the womb have a sterile gut. That's not good. Babies born vaginally have their have their gut colonized by this vaginal microbiome. Mm -hmm. Babies born by cesarean section, they have a different gut microbiome, even if they're breastfed. And that difference persists for up to six months after they're born compared to babies born vaginally and, and breastfed. So um, vaginal birth, if if unless there's a, a serious medical indication that says you should have a cesarean section, vaginal birth is very good for the mother and very good for the infant. If you want to learn more about C-section uh, and its effects, I mean, we can't cover everything in this particular show, but the, but the thing to do is to go to Amazon.com and look for this book, Cesarean Section, An American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequences, uh, and educate yourself. Because th this is... Th so... While you, while you point out that there's a six-month window of, of uh, changes in, let's say, diversity uh, of the microbiome in the baby, 
you know, those early seeds stick around. And we know now that microbes in the gut, they, they kind of are um, clannish. They tend to group together. They like to be uh, with their ilk, you know. And so as a result of that, we know that that actually sets up a trend for diversity as the child grows. And if you're not breastfeeding, it's a double whammy because the areola is another area where the baby gets a lot of microbes. No, that's right. And and also, if you're breastfed, you also share your mother's adult immune system. That if, you know, there's sickness in the household, the least likely person to get sick is a breastfeeding infant because they're getting immediate you know, within their mother is immediately making antibodies to whatever sickness is taking place in the household, and it's excreted in her milk. Babies get first call on that. And um, it's, you know, babies have immature immune system, immune systems, and evolution assured that they'd have ready access to an adult immune system until their immune system was more mature. That's, That's breast. That's breastfeeding. So I was a C-section baby. I got formula because that was the right thing for parents to do back then and i have been plagued with allergies my whole life as a young kid i used to get black and blues they thought somebody was beating me and every when i ate chocolate and peanuts i was allergic to chocolate and peanuts if i ate chocolate and peanuts like the blood vessels burst in my skin and it looked like a um, a yellowish blue mark you know carol i you know i'm i i don't presume to guess your age but but you're absolutely right that in the 1950s and 60s, for sure... 58. Um, 58. Exactly. In that era, doctors were even told that, that formula is scientific, we can do better than human milk, uh, formula, formula is fortified with all kinds of vitamins and minerals, and, and why would you breastfeed when science, when science has created this wonderful invention? I mean, that's the, that's the hubris of, of humankind, that we thought we could do better than 100,000 years of human evolution. Yeah, no. um, and the reason mammals are so sing- singularly successful in populating the entire planet is because we carry our food with us. And we don't have to worry about our babies surviving because we manufacture our food even in very inhospitable environments. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So, um, so, 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 what else do we see? So, we see asthma, and that's probably wet lung and some microbiome uh, uh, diversities or, or or trends in the baby. What what else do we see from children who were not born vaginally? Well, can I? You know, can we back up a little minute, yeah. a little bit, and ask a historical question? Because here, here we've talked about how um, mothers are the maternal mortality rate is is almost five times what it is that when, when compared with a vaginal birth. So you have too many mothers dying, and we currently have the highest uh, maternal mortality rate by far of any wealthy country in the world. Really. Uh, Yes. Not only that, we are the only wealthy country whose maternal mortality rate is increasing since it's almost increased fourfold since the 1980s. And a lot of it can be traced to our high cesarean section rate. Uh, Mothers are dying of what they've always died of in the past. They die of infection or hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness we have antibiotics now, which is why the maternal mortality rate has gone way down since the 1950s. Um, But Blood loss is still very serious, and one of the ways mothers are dying, and this is this is a very scary story because um, we think when we have a cesarean section of the cesarean section is done, the mother was fine, everything's okay, but there are downstream effects. What we're seeing in subsequent births after a mother has had one cesarean, and with each cesarean the risk gets greater, we're seeing problems with the placenta that become life-threatening, not just to the infant, but to the mother. My son Chase, my son Chase had such a calcified placenta. That was the second C-section that my ex-wife had. And that they, they sent it off to be studied because it literally looked like it was filled with plaster. And he was, a, he was, a, he was an emergency C-section. We weren't planning on going to the hospital, and my ex-wife said she felt funny and we went, and they put him on the heart monitor, and they said, we're going right in now to take him, because apparently he was, something was being robbed of him, and it was because, he, what, he didn't have anything wrapped around him, he was in distress. They said it was because of the placenta. Well, let me, let me tell you what's happening with the placenta that is actually killing women at, at very frightening rates. Um, placenta accreta. 
used to be so rare. And what placenta accreta is, placenta accreta is when the placenta adheres to the side of the uterus in such an abnormal way that after the baby is born, the placenta doesn't detach and the woman begins to hemorrhage. Mm. Um, Now, what's happening is that placenta accreta in the 1950s occurred in 1 in 30,000 births very rare, so that an obstetrician could live three lifetimes and never see an accreta. We are now seeing it happen in one in 500 births. That's a 55-fold increase. Not 55%, times 55%. Yeah, 55,000%. It's actually 55,000%. Exactly. Because what's happening is that the placenta is growing into the uterine scar from a previous cesarean and it, in such an abnormal way that the placenta can't detach. 7% of women who have a placenta accreta die. Almost 100% of them will lose their uterus because the only way to save the mother Take is the uterus just out. the uterus. I interviewed one physician who had just had a mother in his hospital die of an accreta the week before, and he said to me, I mean, it's still absolutely horrifies me when I remember what he said. He said to me, 72 units of blood, the entire hospital stopped. Now, the human body for a female has about eight eight units of blood. They were so desperate to save that poor mother, 72 units, and she died. And that's what's happening with cesarean sections that aren't necessary. We're killing women. And here I'm quoting an obstetrician saying this. We are killing women with all these cesareans. And unless they're medically necessary, they shouldn't be done. I want to talk about what necessitates a cesarean so we can understand what the bar is. Also, it's 5,400%. I'm sorry. I, I got a little overzealous. I was looking <laughs> at my E-Trade account earlier, and that's where that came from. We're going to take... Yeah. Good. I'm sorry. I just want to be sure that we talk about why we normalize cesareans. That's okay. important. So when we come back, let's start out with why we can normalize cesarean, and then let's talk about what the thresholds should be well, okay. you know, for, for really using this uh, high-risk approach to delivering a baby. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Superhuman Radio. You've heard about blood flow restriction training since 2006 on SHR, but you're still on the fence. Well, here's the push. BFR is more effective at building muscle than anabolic steroids. That's right. I went there, but it's because it's the truth. My experience with the B-Strong blood flow restriction system is proof to me, and now I'm asking myself why I waited so long. You'll see undeniable changes in the targeted muscles in days and weeks like nothing you've ever tried before. I will never stop using them. Give B-Strong a try go to b s-t-r-o-n-g dot training forward slash super hyphen human and use code s-h-r for 10 percent off diabetes high blood pressure anxiety meds everyone's on them if you're a 50 year old male maybe a bit porky and have type 2 diabetes five hundred thousand dollars of term insurance should only cost about a hundred bucks a month call term provider speak with big lou at 800-352-9239 big lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes are overweight or have high blood pressure term provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance If you want affordable term life for you, call Big Lou at 800-352-9239. Lou is one of you and will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call Term Provider at 800-352-9239. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Call Term Provider, speak with Big Lou, and save on term life. Call 800-352-9239. Men and women, you've heard about hormone optimization. Do you feel like it's something you want to look into? RenewLifeRx.com is the place to start. Their doctors can help you with the solutions. RenewLifeRx.com has a simple process for lab work, consultation, and taking a deep dive into where your hormone levels can be improved. Superhuman Radio listeners get 30% off your initial lab work and consultation. Go to RenewLifeRx.com to schedule your no-obligation phone consultation today. Feel younger, get in better shape, and be more productive. 
live at RenewLifeRx.com. Do you remember those delicious toaster pastries you had when you were a kid? You know, the rectangular sugar-filled snacks? Well, guess what? Legendary Foods has just made low-carb toaster pastry. This is the first of its kind, and honestly, these things are amazing. They have three to four net carb, less than one gram of sugar, and nine grams of protein. You can eat them right out of the wrapper or lightly toast them. The only question is, which flavor? Strawberry or brown sugar cinnamon? They're available at eatlegendary.com and Amazon. Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about Can-See Eye Drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using Can-See and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. Can-See Eye Drops actually reduce my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using Cansey eye drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than Cansey eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision. If you haven't searched hydrogen water in PubMed yet, you must. Hydrogen-infused water possesses undeniable performance, health, and longevity benefits in the realm of real biohacking. Hydrogen water machines cost hundreds to thousands of dollars. Now you can have the strongest hydrogen-infused water conveniently anywhere you want it thanks to Drink HRW. They make the only legal and clinically validated formula to create hydrogen water instantly. I thought this stuff was BS till I started using it. The effects on my training and my gut are undeniable. I have more energy and I last longer without stims. You have to try Drink HRW Maximum Strength Hydrogen Water Tablets today. Go to h2waternow.com and use the code SHR for 10% off today. This is the Superhuman Channel, where we use oxygen for the power of good. Welcome back. We're talking with Jackie Wolf about her... New book, Assyrian Section, An American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequences. You can get it at Amazon.com. It's actually going to come out in a soft uh, uh, cover, right? In paperback at the end of March. There you go. So it'll be even less expensive, and it's a really must-read book. You know, we, if you don't read this book, even if you've had children already, if you don't read this book, then how can you advise your, your children later on in life if you don't have this information? Is there anything more important than childbirth? Think about it. From an evolutionary perspective, job number one is to have children. It's not even to live long or to have a house. That was Maslow's thing, right? Nature just wants you to have children. The, the trajectory of the species must continue. So this is, this is job one. And how can you make an educated decision on something that's not only going to impact your life, but the life of your offspring? Uh, you know, it's just... It, 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 it baffles the mind. So this is a really, really important book. So talk about uh, the normalization of, of uh, cesarean section. We promise to go back yeah. to that. So here, here we're talking about all the problems that too many cesareans create, and that became my central research question. So why, how on earth did we end up with the 33, one in three women in the U.S. having major abdominal surgery to give birth? How did that happen? Now, <laughs> how much? How much? Well, no, no, but really, how much does it cost to deliver a baby vaginally versus cesarean sections? Got to be more yeah, cesarean section. It, it absolutely is the, the insurance. Yes, the 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 reimbursement the reimbursement rate for both physicians and hospitals is depending on the area, but it, it it's the average. It's about twice as much twice twice the reimbursement rate, um, and that's for an uncomplicated cesarean with no complications. Um, so, and most of them do have complications for both the baby and the mother. So then the cost becomes even higher. Now, you know, I'm not one to say that doctors necessarily are so mercenary or hospitals are so mercenary that they consciously elevate the cesarean rate. But births are most hospitals bread and butter. There's no question about it. So, so somehow this does, this does weigh in. Um, but that's only part of the story. <laughs> A very, very small part, actually. The, the reason our, our cesarean section rate um, increased 455 percent between 1970 and 1987. So, in in noting that, I said, "What on earth happened in 1970? The cesarean section rate began to go up so rapidly." <laughs> and 
happened was the introduction of the electronic fetal monitor. And I should, I should note that things don't just happen in medicine without something else happening in the culture at large. So I can, I'll explain in a few minutes why the culture at large accepted the electronic fetal monitor so readily. But the big problem with the monitor was normally when you introduce such a big change to a normal medical practice like birth, you want to test what you're doing. You want to make sure this monitor really is necessary and is effective. And it was introduced without a single trial. What should have been done is that women should have been randomized. This is the way medical trials are conducted. Randomized that they would they would either um, do it the old way, that is, have the fetal heartbeat monitored every 20 to 30 minutes with a fetal stethoscope Stethos- while they were in right. labor, or do it the new way with the electronic fetal monitor. That was, that, there was no testing done. Right. And the, the thought was, why would you waste time testing? It'll be so helpful if we can tell immediately if the baby's in distress. And the theory was that we'd even re- we'd even completely get rid of cerebral palsy. We'd be able to tell if a fetus was in distress. Cerebral palsy would be wiped off the face of the earth. The cerebral palsy rate, now that virtually 100% of, of births, hospital births, are, are monitored with electronic fetal monitor, hasn't gone down even a fraction of 1%. Because we know now that cerebral palsy develops pretty early in fetal development, we think. Certainly smoking has an effect on, on that. Um, but it's not very, very rarely is it some kind of birth accident that happens while you're in labor. So the electronic fetal monitor was introduced. Um, people became incredibly nervous about the monitor strips. And the inventor of the monitor, Edward Hahn, who was a Yale University obstetrician, his famous quote when he kept seeing the C-section rate go up, he said of all his colleagues around the country, he said, quote, this is his, his words, they're dropping the knife with each drop in the fetal heart rate. They would see, you know, people didn't know how the fetus reacted to the contractions. They had never monitored the heart rate every single millisecond of labor. You know, every 20 to 30 minutes, they'd listen for a minute, and the fetal heart tones would look good. If, If the contraction was going on, they would, you know, wait and listen again. The fetus was fine. But in seeing all those all those curves on the fetal monitor strip, everyone got nervous and would rush. This is the this is if someone pressed me on the number one reason for this sudden rapid increase, it was the electronic fetal monitor. Yeah, and, because people and, freaked out. Oh my God, my baby's going to die! Take him, take him. Yeah. And 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 that's the normalization of cesarean section too. The women I interviewed, many many women who had cesarean sections. Those of those who had cesareans in the nineteen seventies as the rate was going up. They were furious about the cesareans. They didn't anticipate it. Uh, they didn't know anyone who'd ever had a cesarean. To this day, I interviewed them 40 years later, and they were still so, they could conjure up that old anger. But you interview women who had babies in the 1990s by cesarean, and all of them say, my baby's life was saved. Now, 33% of babies did not need to be saved from childbirth. Right. Um, but again, that's what comes with normalization. When yeah. women know people who've had cesareans, when they anticipate, of course I might need a cesarean, they accept it. And that's what normalization is all about. You begin to anticipate it, and everyone, doctors and mothers alike, accept it. And that's the problem with normalization. And that's what it is. To, that's where we are today. In fact, uh, I want to put this up real quick. So we have a couple other uh, boards that are monitoring here. And uh, Anders Olsen commented earlier that Brazil is at 55%. Apparently, they are uh, the country with the highest level of cesarean sections. Is that true? Let, let, yeah, it, it absolutely is true. And I'll get to Brazil in one minute. I just want to add, because I want to finish the story about electronic fetal okay, monitors. Okay. Um, eight years after the monitor was introduced and hospitals had accepted it and every single obstetric residency... Um, hospital that had an obstetric residency had introduced the monitor, so uh, residents were being trained on the monitor. Only then did they test it, eight years later. And they randomized women, just as I described, and that's when they discovered the monitor wasn't helping anyone. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't lowering cerebral palsy rates. It wasn't lowering admissions to the neonatal intensive care unit. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, getting better APGAR scores. It was it had no benefit to the fetus whatsoever. The only thing it was doing 
was increasing the cesarean section rate. The women who had the, had the, um, the fetal stethoscope, they had the same old cesarean rates, at, always been between 4 and 6%. Women randomized to get the electronic fetal monitor were having 30%. Yeah, that's where the 30% is yeah. coming from. So, so the electronic fetal monitor has been a real problem. So what now, you're basically is, saying is the, the human population worries too much. No, you, because when you think about it, right, so we couldn't hear the heartbeat before except intermittently when we went and checked. But as soon as we could hear it all the time, no one ever thought to say to themselves, well, maybe that's the way it's always been and we just haven't been hearing it, that, which is the natural or, or inclination. Not, or even knowing that, that the stress a baby, the, the stress a fetus might go under during a contraction is biologically good. Right. <laughs> it's, oh, it has, and again... There's so many things that we still don't know, and we're just beginning to learn about the microbiome, which we discussed earlier. The same with contractions. What? what we don't know. Surely, surely it must confer some benefit on the fetus. We don't know what it is, but surely it must. Interesting. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, as a species, we are really poorly designed to deliver uh, babies. Uh, if you, if I had uh, Dr. Daniel Lieberman on my show, and we talked about this, and then I had somebody else... Uh, and we talked about why the, there's a reason men are attracted to women with wide hips, because from an evolutionary perspective, she could deliver a baby with a big head. Really, you know, that, that's what it came down to, to be crude. When we began walking upright, um, we needed slimmer hips. I mean, the reason the great apes, our ancient ancestors, are, are not bipedal, they, they still you know use all four of their limbs to walk, is because they have very wide hips, and right. they have quite, quite easy births compared to humans. Right. So it is true that, that the compromise was, so evolution had to decide, was walking a benefit or was having an easy birth a benefit? And somehow they decided walking was of enough benefit that then human females would have difficult birth. Right. I mean, really impossible uh, uh, deliveries, because when you look at as, as evolution took place, our heads did get bigger. Our shoulders got smaller. Our, you know, we, and all of a sudden, our head in proportion to our body became a very large object. You know, some women say it's like squeezing a, a bowling ball through a change purse. And so we, we wouldn't like... From an evolutionary perspective, we were really poorly designed to have offspring. Now, combine that with the fact that our job is to have offspring, and it's really quite humorous that we even got as far as we did. Well, that's also why, clearly, that tight, tight, tight squeeze through the birth canal really is of great benefit. Must do something. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me answer your question about Brazil, because Brazil is such an interesting case. Um, you're absolutely right. Overall, the C-section rate in Brazil is 55%, but it's astronomically higher in private hospitals. Brazil yes, has a two- they said that. Yeah. Brazil has a two-tiered health system, uh, public hospitals and private hospitals. In private hospitals, the rate is closer to 90%. There are obstetricians in Brazil who have never attended a vaginal birth, never attended a vaginal birth. Now, let me explain, and this goes back to the normalization of this surgery. In Brazil, it's so normalized that in private hospitals, there are entire wings of private hospitals that have videographers that work with women to design videos to videotape their their cesarean birth. They work, they work with the videographer to Ew. choose the beginning of the, you know, what, what it's going to look like, you know, the entrance to the hospital, the smiling father holding the baby at the end. They have cartoon characters. They choose the music. They have these characters flitting in and out of the birth with the music they've chosen. So it's so normalized that women, it's like, like a wedding. They choose their videographer. They choose the kind of video they want to tape. They go and they get their hair done. They get their bodies waxed before the cesarean. Um, I worked with a graduate student who was doing her dissertation on uh, cesarean sections in Brazil. And she interviewed women who said, I have to be beautiful for my beautiful baby. So there's also a ritual well, of going to the beauty parlor before your cesarean birth. So Brazil is also the winner of another award, the, the highest uh, per capita use of plastic surgery than anywhere else in the world. You know, women in Brazil have butt implants, boob implants, they have their faces done. In fact, it's a sign of uh, culture. It's like, you know, when you have work done, it's because you're affluent, you probably have a private hospital that you go to. So Brazil is also known for being 
uh, the highest consumer of plastic surgery. Botox is like no big thing. I think people do their own Botox in Brazil. Uh, but, but with that being said, I wonder if there is a vanity component to this for women because Brazil is also one of the hot Latin countries. You know, with sexuality is right in your face and all that sort of stuff. And, and I wonder if there's a, like, oh, I, I don't want to have anything happen to my vagina. It, it very well could be. I, don't, I know much more about the American situation uh, than I do about the Brazilian situation in terms of the culture. Um, but certainly, again, when it's normalized among wealthy Brazilians, and it's very, very class-based, um, among wealthy Brazilians, they don't even consider vaginal birth. Um, in fact, the... the um, the word, the Portuguese word for an obstetrician who will attend a vaginal birth is parteiro, which is uh, roughly translated as male midwife, which is kind of a denigration. Right. Um, you know, uh, midwives are wonderful, but, but in Brazil, it's considered only the lowest of low class people would, would need a midwife. And that's the term for a physician willing to attend a vaginal birth is essentially translated as a male midwife. I would love to hear that paper when it's done about Brazil, because I would love to see if we see a, a, a greater extension of a lot of the things we're discovering here in the United States that are conferred or not conferred to the baby and affecting the immune system and so on in Brazil to see if it goes through the roof. That would be and interesting. I, I have to say one thing that's been very scary, and I'm waiting for more information about it. There's a correlation. Now, there's not a causation yet, and so it's very important to point out we don't have a causation. But currently there's a correlation now between autism and cesarean birth as well. They're seeing a much higher rate of autism among babies born by cesarean section. Now, again, this is a correlation we, we don't know if there's a real, a true causation here, but it's been in the headlines just in the last few months, and that's something we need to watch very cl- very closely. Well, you know, the, the, the thing with the autism is that it's, it's such a large number in the population today that I'm sure that we're going to see overlaps in a lot of things just because of its sheer number of, of, of uh, individuals that are in that pool. I'm sure the causality is very complex as well. Yeah. Carl- can I talk a little bit? I talked a little bit about electronic fetal monitoring. I'd like to explain how the culture at large also fed into acceptance of the okay. fetal Okay. Can you stay with me for longer than the hour then? Sure. Okay. If, if, okay. Because we have a couple questions to answer too. So go ahead and go ahead and fill us in on that. Okay. Um, so the question became then, um, why on earth did women accept electronic fetal monitor so quickly in 1970? Um, because it's very invasive. It's very intrusive. Mm-hmm. Women are, are, are tethered to the bed. They can't walk around, which is very uncomfortable. Is it, isn't there a chance of actually tearing the uh, placenta and uh, not the, the tearing the uh, amniotic sac uh, when it's placed or removed or something like that? Well, we originally, you're right. I mean, when they were first used, the monitor was placed internally. Mo- mostly, it's externally. Okay. okay. Belly. So, so that that isn't that isn't a problem now. But one of the reasons it was so widely accepted was the birth was in the news in a very negative way in the 1960s. Um, we talked about Jackie Kennedy's births. It was it was kind of horrifying to see uh, the president's wife have an emergency cesarean section, very premature babies. Um, they had a baby die when he was president. Their son, Patrick, died uh, just a few days after birth because he was born so prematurely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was in the news a lot. Thalidomide was in the news a lot. Thalidomide, which was a sedative that pregnant women took that created horrific birth defects with babies with hands growing out of their shoulders, no arms, feet growing out of their hips with no legs. Um, mm. uh, there was a German measles epidemic in 1965, which also created a lot of birth defects. So there was so much fear around birth and so much so much anxiety around pregnancy that when the electronic fetal monitor was introduced, it wasn't just the medical culture that accepted it, but the wider culture thought, thank goodness for science, thank goodness we have this wonderful piece of equipment that can save our babies. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, I, want, I want to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk, I want to get back on track with the threshold uh, or that necessitates uh, a, a, a legitimate cesarean section as opposed to the way we're using it today. We're talking with uh, Jacqueline uh, Wolf. Her book is Cesarean Section in American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequence. You can get it at Amazon.com and uh, shortly there will be a uh, paperback which makes it le- a lot less expensive. And, you know, whether, if you've had children already, you probably know people that are going to have kids that you love and you care about. Educate yourself about this because 30%, one in three, I mean, that's a lot of fallout. <laughs> That's a lot of fault. 
I'd also like to talk about three ways, if we can end this by talking about three ways women can minimize their chances of having a cesarean. Abs, I love solution-based shows. Stay tuned. Quest Nutrition makes bars, cookies, chips, and pizzas out of complete dairy-based proteins. Our products minimize net carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste. Each delicious chocolate-flavored chip, cookie chunk, and crunchy crumble is custom-made to maintain Quest macros. It's time to enjoy foods that work for you, not against you. It's time to enjoy your Quest. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Growing older. Sadly, for many, it can mean losing your independence and trading your home with a lifetime of memories for a bed in a lonely nursing home. But now there's Rejuvent, the science to resist aging. Each of us has two ages, a physical age and a biological one. We we can't slow our physical age, but thanks to our breakthrough and longevity research, you can now take control of your biological age with Rejuvent Life Tabs, powered by Life AKG. Life AKG is critical for powering cellular energy, supporting detoxification, preserving DNA integrity, and lowering sources of oxidative stress. And that can mean more vitality and stamina in the years to come. Backed by over 20 years of research, Rejuvent is the science you need to resist aging. Rejuvent Life Tabs. It's about life. It's about health. It's about time. Hey, this is Carl. To learn more and save 10% off, go to GetRejuvent.com. That's Get, R-E-J-U-V-A-N-T.com. Use the code SHR and get 10% off your first order. Check it out. Redcon One is one of the fastest growing supplement companies in the world today. That's because they produce supplements that deliver on their promises. From their flagship pre-workout Total War to their innovative whole food MREs and bars. Now you can get the deepest discount ever offered to any audience anywhere. Use code SHR and get 25% off all Redcon 1 products today. SHR and 25% off. Go to Redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Are you still on the fence about Body Protection Complex BPC Oral from DrSeeds.com? Listen to Maggie Kuhn, one of the owners of the C-Bus Lifting Company, Jim, in Columbus, Ohio. I had been having some nagging tendon issues that weren't injuries, just, just things that were annoying. You know, I'm 58 years old, so just older tendon kind of issues. For us powerlifters, you know, we really don't stop training when we have just nagging issues. We just kind of keep pushing through. And I started the BPC. What I noticed was I was doing some heavy tricep stuff that um, that would have killed me um, before when I had an elbow problem, and I was able to do this with literally no pain at all. Go to DrSeeds.com, D-R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your bottle of BPC Body Protection Complex today. You've heard me talk about the chill pill on the show and how effective it is at helping people who suffer from social anxiety or sometimes when you just want to take the edge off uh, to a long, stressful day. Well, listen to this story. From Dylan Goutreau. Definitely takes anxiety away, which I have a long history of having. Started out at two milligrams a day of Xanax. That was at eight years old. And so I stopped using benzos three years ago. Extremely difficult. Yeah, so I spent about three years trying to find anything and everything I could that would be healthy for me um, to help with anxiety. Because I'm talking, you know, full, full out panic attack. The, the chill pill was the first thing that I've found that actually in the middle of a panic attack I can take and it definitely uh, subsides. Go to DrSeeds.com. That's DR R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your first bottle of the chill pill. Check it out. I promise this is one supplement that delivers. Move over, superheroes. This is the Superhuman Channel. Welcome back. We're going to wait for the good. There she is. Okay. Welcome back. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Jacqueline Wolf. The book is Cesarean Section, an, uh, an American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequences. The book can be had at 
Amazon.com. It's really a very, very important book. Many of you may not, not think this is a very sexy book, but I think it's very important. Uh, so we wanted to talk about a couple things when we came back. Um, can, can I jump to a topic real quick, and then we can pick up? You wanted to, what, what did you want to cover again? You said there was something you wanted to go back on. Well, well certainly, certainly I want to, I want to talk about um, that cesareans can be life-saving. I do want to talk about the indications for a cesarean. Okay, yeah, that's it. So what really necessitates a legitimate cesarean section? Um, and I want to emphasize that, too. Cesarean sections can be life-saving. Um, and it's it it it's very important, and it's it, it's important that we um, have much better guidelines for when a cesarean be be performed, so that the women who need them actually get them, and the women who don't need them don't get them. Um, some of the indications for cesarean are placenta previa, which is when the placenta grows and covers the cervical opening, so that the baby can't be born vaginally. That would be one reason. A persistent transverse lie of the fetus, where the fetus is lying sideways in the womb, um, and you've been unable to get the fetus to move, that also necess- necessitates a cesarean. Pregnancy-induced hypertension, where the women, uh, where the mother's blood pressure becomes very, very high, that's a very serious life-threatening condition, and the only way to bring blood pressure down when you have pregnancy-induced hypertension is to perform a cesarean and remove the fetus. Why not? Why not? Why not phlebotomize? I mean, it, it seems to me that if, if phlebotomize the mother, if a mother is developing, uh, and I know it, 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 I, isn't that part of the whole preeclampsia thing? Uh, but that, that and that's actually been even tied to some other. Okay, I'm not a physician, and I. I I can't okay. imagine why phlebotomy would bring your blood pressure down. Oh, yeah. If you have 10 pints of blood and you remove one, you, the hemodynamics change. Your blood pressure comes down. Well, you know, I, and I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't know the answer. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm like, you know, if you, if you have a mother that's really, really, her blood pressure has gone up, you just take a pint out, her blood pressure will drop. Now, you know, the, the, the spleen and bone marrow and water consumption will replenish that volume in as much as a day and a half or two, but that just seems, well, anyway, so uh, that's neither here nor there, but there are, but that, that's another legitimate reason. Okay. Yes. A cord prolapse would be a legitimate reason. That's when the umbilical cord, uh, no, the umbilical cord um, comes down the birth canal before the baby does. So that oh. the baby head could then crush the umbilical cord and the baby then would, would, you know, be starved of oxygen. Right. So, Cord prolapse is a life-threatening condition that necess- necessitates a cesarean. And then what about just when the baby gets the cord wrapped around them and they can't... They, they, well, you know, that that you don't necessarily know until after the baby's born. And I've actually been at two births where the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck. It's not that unusual. And frankly, the fetus has a very high tolerance for hypoxia. And most babies are born... Um, bluish in color because they have uh, really they're not adults and they're not older children they have a very high tolerance for hypoxia and yeah you want to move quickly if the cord is wrapped around a baby's neck but you know that happens with with more frequency than you would know mm, interesting interesting so what are other reasons that you think uh obviously if a mother is in a car accident and they have to take the baby well yeah if 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 somehow uh, yeah I mean, I, it depends on the mother's condition. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. But but the point I want to make, I mean, I pretty well exhausted the list of, of common pregnancy situations where you necessitate a cesarean, and in that case it would be life-saving. And each one of those, placenta previa, pregnancy-induced hypertension, cord prolapse, uh, transverse lie of the fetus, they occur in considerably less than 1% of births. So part of my point is, that even when you need a cesarean, I mean, we're that proves that we're that we are performing far too many at far at a very great cost to women's and children's health. Are, are mothers being lulled into this? Uh, you know, they, they no matter what they do in a hospital, they make you sign that thing that if you die, it's not their fault. But uh, do you think that there's a, a a casual air when talking about cesarean section where mothers think? You know, maybe this will be better, or just get the baby out. And everything. well, it's, it's part of the problem. That that's exactly what comes with normalization. Once you know people who've had cesareans, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of relatives, everyone's fine. You just, you know, you anticipate the fact that you very well might need a cesarean, and that's how you end up getting a higher and ever higher rate. 
because the more it's accepted by the culture at large and the more it's accepted by the medical culture, the, the higher the rate goes and the harder it is to bring it down. Jeff Clifton uh, asked on Facebook uh, if swabbing the, the, the newborn with, you know, the placenta, the blood, the, the drippings and all that sort of stuff, and just wrapping the baby around all that, does that help any with the transference of the microbiome? You know, there are hospitals that are beginning to do that, and there are obstetricians who are beginning to do that. They've only begun to do it. I, I don't know of any test results that have come out showing the effect because you would have to look at it over years to see if it really had, had, a, had a positive effect on the child. I worry about this as a solution, though, because it then would add to normalizing cesarean section. You could, you could say to yourself, eh, we'll just swab the mother's vagina and then coat the baby with her, with her, you know, with her vaginal microbiome and problem solved. And clearly that doesn't solve the problem. Do, so, um, so, so if I understand that the mother has to be the one to be educated about this, and we're going to talk about how to keep yourself from having to have one in a second, but we are all at the mercy of doctors in our lives, right? Doctors say you need this, and we believe them because we believe they really want to help us. And sometimes we do things that we really don't want to do because the doctor said that that's the thing we should do. See, and of course, a laboring woman is far more vulnerable than your average uh, patient. Because here she is, you know, about to become a new mother. If, if a doctor told a new mother in labor, in order to save your baby, we're going to have to cut off your arm, most mothers would say, well, just give me anesthesia and cut yeah. off my arm. Yeah, no, make it, make it the left because I'm righty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cut off the left arm because I'm so a right. I'm a right-handed uh, person, right? So, so you know, and the problem is, informed consent flies out the window when you're in labor. And um, yes, if you're told your your baby's in trouble, you're willing to do anything, anything. Um, and that too is part of the medical culture, and it's something that we really need to figure out how to solve. Um, because again, you know, I go back to the to the fact that that you know that the. the the death rate of mothers, even even before we had antibiotics and um, and blood banking, even in the even in the seventeenth century, we know from midwives' diaries that fewer than one half of one percent of mothers died in childbirth. Now that's a horrifically high rate. Today we would never uh, accept such a high rate of maternal death, but um, but it's much lower than we would ever expect. Yeah, I, I, that surprised me. That surprised me. <laughs> We didn't have antibiotics, and we didn't have uh, any way to store and transfuse blood. That's why mothers died. We can we can solve those. We can you know we can we, we have can those covered now. Yeah, we have those covered we have, now. We have those covered. So you know, I go back to very few births ran, ran into trouble. Um, we can document that looking at nineteenth-century obstetric records. About five percent of human births run into trouble. Five percent, and this was before we had antibiotics and blood banking. Yeah. So how did we end up with a 33% cesarean rate? It's a, again, it's a very complicated story. We have skimmed the surface in our conversation, but I think our listeners are getting the idea of this has been um, culturally induced, yes. uh, not medical reason for yes. it. So what can women do to avoid uh, having to have a C-section? They can do three simple things. Um, number one, the, the wealthy countries that have much, and again, we have the highest maternal mortality rate and the highest infant mortality rate of any wealthy country. Everyone is ahead of us. Japan, Australia, all the European countries. That is uh, shocking to me. And it should be, it really, it should be a, a national disgrace. It should be national news. And frankly, the maternal mortality rate has been in the headlines lately because it's so, so high. And it keeps going higher. In the U.S., we are an anomaly among countries where our rate keeps going up. Mm. So the countries, the wealthy countries, countries like us that have much better rates, their frontline providers for maternal care are midwives, not obstetricians. The midwives are the gatekeepers. The midwives are the ones who say, you're high risk. You do need to see an obstetrician. So I say to women, consider rather than going to an obstetrician, and obstetrics is a surgical specialty. That's the key here. You're going to a surgeon. You're going to a surgeon for birth. I, you know, I never to... thought about that, right? I, I've never thought about that. You're going to a surgeon. What do you think he's going to want to do to you? 
it's a surgical specialty. Obstetrics and gynecology is a sur- it's classified as a surgical specialty. So consider going to a family physician who are licensed to deliver babies as well qualified or a midwife. And there are some wonderful birthing centers, especially in large cities, um, that are very low tech. You don't have you don't have an option. They don't even have electronic fetal monitoring. Right. So consider midwives as your frontline provider or family doctor. That's number one. Number two, unless there's a medical reason, do not get induced. Labor induction, that is abnormal labor. If you want a normal birth, you want normal labor on your side. And induction is not normal labor. Um, much Contractions are much harder to weather, much more painful, much more rapid. So they're much more stress on the, on the fetus as well as the mother. Um, unless there's a medical reason for induction, decline induction. Don't let a, a doctor. And that, and that's basically a, a pitocin uh, uh, infusion, right? It's, it's oxytocin infusion, t- exactly. ten milligrams a, a minute or something like that. An IV drip with pitocin, which is uh, basically um, a, a oxytocin. Uh, exactly, it's it's ar- it's artificial oxytocin. Right. Yes. Right which is what stimulates labor, is oxytocin, which is a normal hormone in the body. The third thing women can do is labor as long as possible at home. Because you shouldn't go into the hospital, you shouldn't get checked in until your contractions are so difficult to weather that you have trouble talking, that you start gasping. Uh, you know, that, that you talk, that when you have a contraction... But that, that, is, that is the complete opposite of what everyone does, right? Everybody has a bag packed already... You come home from dinner, your wife's got gas, oh, it may be contractions, let's go to the hospital. I'm not being facetious. Uh, there were a lot of women who get sent home and say, no, you just have gas. That's not a contraction. Yeah. No, it's it's really important to, to, to stay home because if you can labor as long as you can at home, there are far fewer interventions that you're going to end up with in the hospital. Now, I have to say, some of the young women that I've told this to, um, they were a little bit nervous about staying home, even though they lived in a large city. I'm thinking of one young woman in particular. So she and her husband sat in the hospital parking lot in their car while she was in labor. They played cards. They listened to music. They talked um, because they felt more comfortable being near the hospital. But, but she I, did I can understand that traffic. You know, you don't know what you're <laughs> going to encounter on the way there. But she did follow my advice about she labored as long as she could in her car as opposed to at home, um, which, you know, that was the spirit of my advice. But, I mean, you know, I'm just saying that the, the, the longer you can labor not in the hospital, the less likely you are to undergo all kinds of interventions. And there's a slippery slope. Again, we could talk about this forever, that once you get one intervention, it leads to others. It leads to others. Because once you have, for example, labor induction, you can't weather that without an epidural. The labor is just too painful and hard. An epidural, too, that your blood pressure can bottom out with an epidural. It has your fever can spike. Never mind that. You know, uh, they poke you in the spine. Sometimes you go home for months, you have problems, you have pain, you know, or numbness or, I mean, it's. My cousin's wife, actually, they placed the, they placed the, she had a spinal, and they placed it up too high, and it froze her, her lungs. She couldn't breathe. Oh, And my, had, oh they God. had to, they had to knock her out and put her on a respirator. Oh, the poor um, thing. Yeah, no, it, it, it was actually, her story ended up in, in, in my book. Um, and she ended up with three cesarean sections. So, um, that, that's an outlier. That's, that's kind no, of. No, I get it. But, but just think about it. If you don't go in, too soon, where they go, oh, let's do something with her. You know, she's just sitting in there waiting for her contractions. Start. Let's do something with her. You know, if you don't go, if you, if you labor for as long as you can, and if you're nervous, you go, go ahead, sit in the parking lot. I love to get to the airport really early. There's a lot of people that literally race in, grab their bags, go through security, and they just sit down. When I don't like that. I like, I like to walk in. If I want to read a book, I want to read a book. I get there a couple hours early. So if you're one of those people, sit in the parking lot at the hospital. That's all. No, no, exactly. Exactly. And have faith in your body. You know, I mean, we don't have enough faith in women's bodies. And frankly, we evolved, just as you said at the outset of this podcast, we evolved to to replicate. We evolved to reproduce. We evolved to have babies. And our bodies work incredibly well. Um, We're not taught that. You know, and the other problem is that the, that the average human being is very myopic. It's, it's about what they're doing today. They forget what they learned. They didn't even learn things. We don't we don't teach these types of things. You know, for for hundreds of thousands of years, we gave birth in jungles. And, and frankly, when you're t- when you're tethered to the bed, 
it labor takes longer when you're walking around labor progresses more rapidly and again that's part of the problem with the electronic fetal monitor is that women can't move around once they're once they're stuck on the monitor Good point. so and we could we could go on and on with this story do you have to wear a fetal monitor once you get into the hospital can you say i don't want the fetal monitor you have an absolute right to refuse the fetal monitor there you go so maybe women should do that just, like, just like any patient you have the right to refuse anything the doctor offers you it's your legal right yeah. Uh, the book is called Cesarean Section, An American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequences. The consequences are still playing out. It'll be uh, 50, another 50 years before we realize all of us who were born in the 50s, um, C-section, formula, the introduction of vaccines. Uh, we, we just don't know what we're playing with here, and it's going to be a long time before people can actually figure it out. But the reality is that uh, if we have to deliver babies the way we were genetically designed to deliver babies, and we have to stop this madness. That's all. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because I don't have to have babies. Because if it was up to me, there'd be one person on the planet. It'd be me. Because I'm not having any babies. It's too risky. It's too much trouble. Thank God for women that they're willing to do it. I got to be honest with you. Because if guys had to have babies, we would have been extinct years ago, long time ago. And women will tell you it's totally worth it. <laughs> it's totally. It's totally worth it. And yeah, actually, I know. I know. Birth is pretty wonderful. I know. And that's why we need to love men and women. The, the, the human condition is a wonderful thing. We have to keep trying to change it to something else. I right, look, uh, Dr. Wolf, uh, Dr. Wolf, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Jacqueline, thank you so well, much. I do have a PhD, so Dr. Wolf is okay. Oh, but, okay. But, and and let, let me add that um, this is a very complicated story. We have just skimmed the surface. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it than just electronic fetal monitoring. There's, you know, there's the malpractice crisis. There's the there's um, there's the de-skilling of obstetricians. There's the finance finances that you alluded to. There's there's it's an incredibly complicated story that explains how we got to where we are with cesarean section. And it's all in the book, cesarean section. In the book. It's all in American the history of risk, technology, and consequences. And that's it for today. Tomorrow we have a, uh, an episode of uh, the Renew Life Rx show. And then Friday we have Dr. Suzanne Turner coming on to talk about peptide protocols to reverse the collateral damage from stroke. She's doing it with patients. You need to know this. If you know anyone who's ever had a stroke and you know that they never regained their lives completely, there is hope with some of these new peptides like sabinatide we've talked about before. We, there's some groundbreaking stuff giving people their lives back after stroke. So that's on Friday. Don't miss that one. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. Thanks for being here today, and we'll see everybody tomorrow with more Superhuman Radio.